Welcome to the Unveiled Podcast. My name is Peg Peters, where we are exploring the intersection of spirituality and psychedelics. We are located here in Vancouver, Canada, and I am currently on the unceded territory of the Stolo First Nation people. And I just give thanks to these people for honoring and loving and keeping this land and whose land that we are so lucky to live, pray, work, and explore on. And so to my uh, friends in the Matsqui and the Samath First Nations, thank you. We're welcoming today on our, as our guest, uh, Hunt Priest. He is Episcopalian minister and uh, founder of Ligari Ministries, which is an amazing organization. Let me just read their title. Ligari, a Christian psychedelic society. Ligari is an open network of people who desire legal and safe access and believe that Christianity and other existing religious traditions offer paths for preparing, experiencing, and integrating mystical experiences, including those occasioned by sacred plants and compounds. Welcome to the show, Hunt. I'm really happy to have you here. How are you doing thank today? You. I'm doing well, thank you. I'm really glad to be here too. Yeah. So, um, you know, we're we're going to just start right off with uh, kind of your own your own kind of transformation experience. Your, uh, in in essence, your kind of Saul to Paul experience, right? Uh, you know. <laughs> You, you you've been a minister uh working in you know in communities in a, as as a as a priest uh i'm a, i'm an ordained minister as well i've been been a minister for over 20 years uh in an evangelical tradition uh that i ended up walking away from because its view of god was just too narrow for me and um i started a my friend and i started an, a a church uh about 18 years ago as kind of a postmodern uh spiritual expression called nexus uh and we ran that for 16 years and then it kind of faded out and i lost my my passion my vision for god and it's only been la in the last 5 years as i've discovered psychedelics that i'm being drawn back to the vision of christ and uh, and i want to explore that with people that really understand what i'm talking about that these worlds are not in opposition so hunt tell me your story how did you go from episcopalian minister to a person who was part of a study at johns hopkins exploring religious traditions and psychedelics right well I, in fact i was out in your neck of the, i live in savannah georgia now and i'm a southerner by birth and most of my adult life in the south but I, my family and i lived in seattle for eight years i was the rector of the episcopal church on Mercer Island, so that I know that area well. Mm -hmm. Such a beautiful part of the country, and it was an important place for my family and me. Uh, for those that don't know, the Episcopal Church, for the Canadians, it's the sister church of the Anglican Church of Canada, mm -hmm. part of the Anglican Communion. And so I was uh, ordained at 40. I was a second career priest in the Episcopal Church, and uh, ordained at 40, and served a church in Atlanta for three years, and was in Seattle for eight, the Seattle area for eight, and uh, in 2015, I saw an ad for a study at uh, Johns Hopkins and NYU, it was in Christian Century, a sort of progressive Protestant, mm. every twice a month magazine, it was an article and an ad about a study they were doing with religious professionals of all traditions, and I thought to myself, why in the world would I not do this? Uh, mm. The two requirements were act in an active ministry setting, however that was understood, and then uh, psychedelically naive, so that I had not done psychedelics, which I hadn't, and didn't have any problem with it, I just hadn't done it. And so I was open and uh, applied and was accepted, and within three months I was uh, under the care of a whole team, but two mm -hmm. guys, 
and had a very two very profound two sessions that contained very profound religious experiences not disconnected from my christianity very connected to my priesthood mm. and very connected to the sacramental life of the church which i can say more and it was a very Saul to Paul experience and that I felt the presence of the Holy Spirit in my body. Paul writes that the body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and I could intellectualize that and make some meaning of it intellectually, but I had the experience of the energy of the Holy the energy of God moving through my body very in a very dramatic fashion and wow. uh, lasted a long time. I the language I now I think would say was also a kundalini uh yeah awakening of sorts and that's a different name for the same thing i think yeah yep. in christian language it's the holy spirit you're right but yet these there's other traditions that have experienced these kinds of realities that have names for things that we just don't necessarily have the the symbols and language for in the same way and so and yes it's this it's true the energy up the spine you know shooting up it's this kundalini waking up in the different chakras Right. And if it's, a, if it's true in the Buddhist or Hindu tradition, it's also true in Christianity. Right, what's right. true, Richard Rohr says what's true in one place is true in everywhere. Yeah, every place. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Let's so, dive into that because that's a great place to start. And I, and I know that you've a kind of uh, that's, that's pretty common. You know, I've listened to podcasts with you, Hunt. Obviously, that's kind of the a nice lure. It hooks people. What? You were part of Johns Hopkins study? I mean, they're, they're one of the top, if not the, you know, most uh, researched uh, medical institutions in the world. Uh, this is no joke. This is really serious scholarship. Uh, you were brought together. Describe the team of people that were part of this study with you because they weren't just Christians. They were representing different faith traditions. And what were they looking at? What was their goal? What did they want to study? Well, you know, the, the study is, has not been published. It's, it'll be published. So we're, you and I are talking in early March of 23, and it should, the word is be published in the next few months. So I, I have not seen the results of it. So I just really, uh, speaking from my own experience and the few people I've talked to who are also in there. So they were looking for, and I'm not even positive the specific part, I mean, it's part of continuing the research and expanding the base of knowledge about psychedelics, but what they were seeing in the depression studies, anxiety, all the studies they've been doing was people were having pretty profound religious and spiritual experiences, and many of them connected to these the world's religions, Christianity, Islam, Judaism, Hinduism, Buddhism, that there were archetypes and images and stories and explanations that really did tap directly into religious experience and religious story and ritual. So, and that was my experience connecting into Christian ritual, which I guess is understandable since I'm a Christian ritualist, but um, so, I, so Christians, Jews, there was one Muslim in the study, uh, various Christians, there were at least one or two Unitarian Universalists, there were Episcopalians, Lutherans, an American Baptist, uh, Presbyterian, United Church of Christ, Congregationalists, so more like the United Church in Canada. Um, I think an Orthodox priest, I think, and a Roman Catholic priest. So a good range. And then rabbis. The joke, the joke and the reality was they had trouble finding rabbis who had not done psychedelics. <laughs> and they had trouble finding Christians who were either hadn't done it or were willing to admit it or open to it. So they eventually filled the study up. And there was, I think, one or two Muslim or one or two Buddhists. 
no Hindus, I don't think, but one or two Buddhists. Mm. So mostly Christian, some Jews, one Muslim. So anyway, that's the range. And I think seeing where the stories and ritual and realities of the world's religions intersect with these experiences people are having in kind of run their their not their everyday studies but the stuff they're working on around emotional and spirit emotional and psychological health and for me the intersection of psychology and spirituality and religion that's that's i mean that's i love that stuff and i think that's yeah for me, that's yeah, the that's the stuff that really gets me excited is that, you know, this intersection. And I think that's kind of maybe where our conversation really gets interesting is that most of the conversation around psychedelics is kind of in one of two camps. It feels like when I'm listening to podcasts and reading books, it's either kind of what I call like the psychology or medicalization of psychedelics, which is like psychedelics are here to heal your trauma, to help you, you know, with your anxiety and depression and end of life and these kinds of things, which it's amazing. Like, you know, I'm part of a, a clinical trial here uh, with physicians in Canada that are doing group work around end of life uh, with psilocybin. And they've been given exemptions from Health Canada to study this. These are palliative care physicians. And I'm working with Dr. Valerie Masuda, who's from Vancouver Island, pioneering this kind of work. And as I get to interact with these patients that are coming out of the study, they are they are talking to me. I talked to one yesterday. She's she has no religious background, but the experiences that she has when she has a psilocybin, you know, experience, it's like she encountered God for the first time. She says that language. She says it's not religious because I'm not religious. Everyone has that caveat. Right. H however, she pauses. It's the most deeply spiritual experience of my life. Full full stop. And when she describes it, what's so unique is. When she encounters the divine, the div she feels this hand, like it's an incredible story. She feels this hand, she's stuck underwater, banging her head against this jetty, you know, of, of, of self-destruction. Uh, she feels this hand pulling her out. And she says, when I looked at the end of the hand, I realized it was me. That it was the love of the universe embodied in me and this divine essence coming to me, pulling me out. And I started bawling, realizing I was loved for the first time in my life. This is a woman facing the end of her life with cancer. I mean, yeah, with cancer. And she's saying, I don't have language for this experience, Peg. And I'm like, the spiritual language you're talking about, there are ancient traditions that give you language for this. You know? here's, what, here's what comes to mind right off the bat with that. And I, I want to step back in a minute and talk about actually the concept of religion and the name of our organization. But there's a there's an icon, of ancient icon, a Christian icon called the harrowing of hell. And it's an icon of Jesus pulling after the after the resurrection, Jesus, or not after, as, as part of the resurrection, Jesus pulling people by the hand out of the abyss. And those those are stories that's those are truths that speak to the larger truth. And what she's tapped into, I suspect, is the larger truth of being pulled out of the abyss, being pulled out of out of hell, out of death. Yeah. Yeah, no, she was in hell. She's mm -hmm. facing, you know, she's an end of life diagnosis. And, and she says, I wake up in a panic attack. It's mm -hmm. just the fear overwhelms me. So I can't even cope. Like it's and when you talk to people that are living in hell inside their minds, hell is in here. It's not out there in the next life. I oh, meet God. people living in hell all the time. And Christ is saying, I have a hand for you. And here, yeah. I will pull you out of the chaos of the abyss in this, you know, I've been to, I mean, it's, it happens in the, as part of the cruise, as the part of the 
Holy Good Friday and Easter narrative, but the tradition said that Jesus descended into hell and in and in the resurrection, into however we understand that, I think that's exactly what into his own abyss. And as he comes out of that in this new creation that he becomes, he's pulling everyone out with him. And that's God over and over pulling all of us. It doesn't matter about Christianity in this case. God pulling, whatever God is, pulling us out of the abyss yeah. and the isolation. So when I think when people say, when people have these reactions to religion, the word religion or the concept of it, or spiritual but not religious, I think the, and the religions have done this to people. It's not like it's not our fault, but um, Lagarde, so let me explain the name of my organization. Lagare is Latin for unite or to bind, to unite or to bind. That's the root word of ligament. It's also the root word of religion. And the, the original understanding of religion, I think, is the rituals, the story, the community, the practice, the spiritual practice that binds people to God. So religion, religare, is rebinding to God. So this, whatever, if people say I'm not religious, which means I don't want to sit in an uncomfortable chair and recite the Nicene Creed and say words I don't believe, that's one and thing. Feel, and feel the shame of an external shame. deity that's sending me to hell. Exactly. That's what they mean by they say I'm not that. All right. So it's, ter it's terrible, destructive, violent religion. That's done more, much more damage than it's done good. And then there are these, and I think psychedelics are going to help people reconnect to that. These ancient traditions that need to be updated and modernized and use modern thought, cosmology, to re-engage re these old traditions and say, there's still deep wisdom here. In fact, there's so much more wisdom here than there is in anything else we're doing out in out in the world. I mean, there's scientific knowledge, but the spiritual wisdom is here in these ancient stories. And yes, we have to see some of some of it is myth, some of it is allegory. We don't have it does not have to be factual to be true. And uh, the world does not have to be created in seven days for the beauty of Genesis one to really convey the power of God and the beauty of the cosmos. Yeah, the I mean, C.S. Lewis famously said. Um, myth doesn't mean something is not true. It means there's there's a truth beyond the literalism that it actually is truer than your no notion of fact. You yeah. know, so myth is something larger, more encompassing uh, than just literalism. And so, if C.S. Lewis, if that's a if that's okay with C.S. Lewis, at least for my you know my evangelical <laughs> tradition, we can cite some of our saints and saying, yeah. Hey, yeah. Lewis was right to be able to point us to a larger truths that that beyond uh, beyond the literal readings of of ancient texts. Um, I wonder why, as much as uh, evangelical Christians quote C.S. Lewis, which they do, and I'm grateful for that. I wonder why they didn't make the final step and just become Anglican. <laughs> I know exactly. Anyway, that's uh, and and many are becoming that. Right. I mean, there's a mass exodus, obviously, out of out of this tradition, um, mm -hmm. and we see it probably even more in Canada. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm more well, aware. Yeah. Well, yeah. people, there's a mass exodus from religion in general. And then I think the evangelical tradition is really lots of people trying to rethink that. And I just hope they, I just hope people, God, and the evangelical tradition brings so much to, can and has brought so much to my tradition, which is pretty, you know, can be pretty formal and like relationships aren't, don't seem to be that important, although they are. And the so much of what the evangelical tradition did was to lift up the, 
ministry of the lay people to say you can adapt this to modern life and small group ministry, all those things. And then yeah. it got sideways with politics and, and picked the wrong. I mean, just, I don't know. So lots of reasons. Yeah, but- no, no. And, and I mean, I think there's something deeply fundamentally uh, corrective about the psychedelic experience. And I want to dive in. We got lots of time, Yeah, we got but, lots there's, of time. <laughs> yeah, but, but there's something profound about the, the sacrament of the sacred mushroom that um, that creates, you know, we can use language philosophically, but it allows people to have a non-dual experience. Now that's a big language. You know, Richard Rohr uses this in the cosmic Christ and uh, Cynthia, I forget her last name. Uh, Yeah. You know, so there are, there are theologians that are, that are, you know, helping us understand what is this experience when people like when Johns Hopkins talks about, you know, uh, 85% of people in their end of life cancer studies are having mystical experiences and they have a mystical experience quote, you know, questionnaire. And, and it's a direct correlation between their, uh, their experience of a mystical experience and the healing that they experience, uh, longitudinally. So the, the more likely they are to have a mystical experience, the more likely they are to have more holistic long-term healing of their psyche. That's interesting. Shouldn't We've got church, to talk about that. Shouldn't the church care about that? Yes, it should. <laughs> right? Why is John Hopkins setting the standard about we're studying mystical experiences because we can now guarantee that almost guarantee, like, I mean, in stats, 85 is high. If I can say with the right set and setting and this amount of this substance that grows out of the ground, you can have a divine mystical experience. That's amazing to me yes, that, you know, and as a, as you know, part of my, uh, you know, I, I've had a, um, so I've been part of a community in the area here in British Columbia. We're pretty, uh, pretty liberal in BC around our drug laws and, and, and access to these substances. So very lucky to be fortunate to have that. So we're part of a, a harm reduction uh, model uh, in, in this area where we use group work as a primary way to prepare people for 10 weeks for this kind of experience. We, we do these experiences in a group with therapists, with trained guides that then integrate you back into that group and you would reattach back into that group. So we've been doing this model for a number of years, but it's fascinating that when people come in, no, you know, no background whatsoever of any kind of spiritual tradition, we have to let them know you are more than likely going to have a mystical experience and you need to be able to have some handles to understand what that is, what that feels like, to feel the divine kind of being you close as you ever have felt to being loved, connected and held. You need to have understand this. So we're giving these people this language and they're like, oh, where are you getting this language from? Well, this is actually Christian language. What? Uh, I'm not a Christian. Uh, okay, you don't have to call it Christian. We'll just call it spiritual language then, right? So it's a very fascinating experience to use small group ministry, basically, yeah. to do this kind of God work, you know? Yes. Yes. That's yes. basically what's I, happening. I know. And I, I, I wish there was some way we could just Whatever those things are that have been so destructive about uh, Christianity is the problem with them doing this, I think, uh, because it's the dominant Western religion. If those things that would, yeah, that block people from really the beauty of it, not to be a convert, but to, and Western civilization, like it or not, folks, I mean, for better or worse, is, is very Christian. And then that's been the, 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 the churches for the first, 1700 years of you know of, of this era christianity has yeah. been a dominant especially since the renaissance has been a dominant 
cultural uh, force. And, and, and that force has been primarily people. head. You yeah. know, oh, it's God primarily is. rational. It's, you know, it's about theology, dogma, belief, morality, all these very masculine, assertive power, kind of powerful ways of keeping people in and out. How, you know, we know if you're in the right denomination, that's so masculine in its, in its orientation toward the spiritual traditions, right? You just don't get that in the monastic traditions or in the Eastern Orthodox traditions, or even, I mean, you get, you get high scholasticism in, in Catholic traditions, uh, but you have all these other traditions like the Franciscan and others that are really embedded in love and connection. So, you know, I think there's an opportunity to renew the Christian faith by using the sacred uh, sacrament of, of, of psilocybin. And it can be a renewal movement that can help reimagine what it means to be a follower of Christ. Yeah. Experience what do you think of that? I mean, tell me what happened for you. Let's get into our personal journeys here, okay. hon, because okay. I think that that's connects us. What, what did you experience in, in your psilocybin uh, experience that you left that saying, I can never go back? Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. And it, 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 it goes back. I mean, I've been a Christian all my life. So, and connected to the mystical tradition, I've really craved it in my twenties and thought I've got, I can't be Christian anymore. But then I just rediscovered the tradition the the mystical and contemplative tradition of Christianity. And that's been, that's been a rock for me from all of my adulthood. I'm, but so that's connected to this. So the year before I had my first experience, I went to a Vipassana meditation retreat, a 10 day retreat. And in, in the Northwest, in Washington State, actually. And uh, that's hard. That's 10 days of six hours of meditation. There's, you're in a cell by yourself. It was very challenging. And about day five, after I decided I was not going to scream and run out, I was going to stay. Uh, that afternoon, I think, I had this experience of a electrical, just a circular electrical current in my left thigh. And I, it was like, oh my God, that's amazing. I don't even know what that is. And that's amazing. And I'm here for that. And there's a body connection to my spiritual life. That's, that's, that's where I'm headed. So a year later, a little over a year later, I'm, uh, I've been given a pretty medium high, medium high dose of psilocybin. I have two guides. I'm in a, what's a set, a clinical setting sort of, although it's comfortable in a, in a room, it looks like a living room. About an hour and a half in, I'm struggling, I'm uncomfortable. And then I have that, I'd forgotten about it, sort of. had the exact same experience of electrical current in my left thigh spinning, kind of the, it's a symbol that you see in spirituality, kind of the journey of life thing. And uh, that's what it was. And I thought, oh my God, five days of six hours of meditation. And I got there, which was great. Or an hour and a half of under the, working with psilocybin. And I get there and that felt, that was something then and that's something now. So in that moment, I really thought, whatever this is, it's real. And I'm going to just totally let go in a way that I didn't do with that Vipassana retreat. And once I let go, that energy current went from my left thigh to my spine and just animated my whole body. So for a long time, and I had a blockage in my throat that I felt like my Adam's apple was going to explode and finally my one of my guys laid hands on me like I've done a lot of times prayed with people like and that whatever that was increased the energy current dramatically and then it kind of moved past that and off the top of my head so yeah, yeah kundalini 
That what, what, what did that mean for you as you kind of left that you had this physical experience of some kind of energy in you? Uh, what, what did it, like, what sat with you? What changed for you as a result of that experience? So you, you alluded to this earlier. And I think this is the way we train clergy in the Christian tradition mostly is it, it's all, I mean, and we got it. We got to use our brains. Let's bad religion does not engage academics. So we got to engage our, got to engage our brain, but so much of it is up here. And I was in this pattern of like, what's the next thing to say? What are we going to do to grow the church? And what programmatic things do we need to be doing? And what's the strategy and all those things and theology, systematic theology, all important, but it's got to be balanced. So my lesson was my spirit, the spirit, God telling me, pay attention to what your body wants to tell you, your body, your body, your body. Your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. The body doesn't, the body keeps the score. The body doesn't lie. All that. And so that was seven years ago, and I'm still struggling. I'm Enneagram nine, if you know anything about that, that means mm -hmm. pretty disconnected from your body and uh, ignore things and let things go. So I'm still struggling with that. But the biggest lesson was it's this has to be balanced with your heart and your body. Mm. And uh, so that's why. I, that's where I went. And I, and I also appreciated in a new way the power of healing rituals, healing prayer, healing touch, that there's something actually happening. It's not just a nice thing to do to touch somebody and pray with them. There's right, right. energetic transfer. There's actually all of us. I have power. You have power. There's power in touch. There's power in intentional prayer. There's power in, it's not just a nice thing to do. And I kind of, honestly used to think it was just a nice thing to do. yeah so, no that's interesting how uh you know what's coming up for me as you're talking is this this um like a connection between head and heart mm -hmm. and uh and that this kind of like this experience allowed you to move out of kind of your your head and into this like the somatic experience of the divine it's mm -hmm. like i encountered god in my body coming as energy from the inside engaging your heart allowing you to feel a sense of connection and wholeness you know um I think this, you know, if you if you use the word ligare as at the root of coming together, of religions that that bind together, using the concept of a ligament, I think at the heartbeat of the the ministry of 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 Christ, you know, of of the divine is a bringing together. It's a unite. I mean, if I read this book called Lost Connections by Johann Hari, he uh, he he wrote about the rise of depression and anxiety, and uh, and and how millions of people are on SSRIs. And he's writing, how did this happen? How did we go from a society, you know, in the seventies and eighties to in the nineties, and then now, where millions and millions of people are daily dependent upon an SSRI to suppress their emotions and their feelings? And he looked at and he says what at the core of it is we are we are disconnected from ourselves from each other and from the natural world from the divine and and he really gets into this idea of isolation and he says isolation is not uh you know i don't have friends at work or i have a, a buddy i can go watch a hockey game with disconnection is i don't have anyone in my life that really knows who i really am that i can't be fully authentically known at my deepest places i don't have communities church is no longer meaningful to me our family Families are fragmented and, and, and disconnected. Our marriages are falling apart. We no longer have kind of 
you know, deep spiritual clubs. We just are kind of these isolated individuals consuming and buying and just are scared. And so into this book, Lost Connections, he says, we are, what, our, our, what we need is connection. And so I think about what, you know, what you are experiencing is we are experiencing connection on the most inner being. We're also experiencing connection in spiritual communities of people with like minds coming together. And there's an opportunity for psychedelics to be a, a new way of us connecting spiritually beyond denominations, beyond even religious trappings. It's a new way of connecting people. Right. Which and, is what, honestly, religion at its best connects it begins by connecting me to myself to my whole self and then connecting me to the people around me and then to think cosmically or mystically to connect me to all who all who have come before all who will come down so that, i mean i'm christian so those that's my primary lens to, to look at all this and if you think about the eucharist the uh the the mass the lord's supper what we believe, we don't teach it very well, but what we believe about that is that in that moment, some moment in those prayers, the gathered community, all of time collapses on itself. The living and the dead are present in that moment around this holy table that is both in heaven, or, you know, in, in eternity. That table is both in eternity and in the present moment. So all of it comes together then and all the time but we mark that moment and if we did a better job of teaching what we were doing instead of people watching the priest do something instead of understanding we're all in this together and we're god's making this happen and we're participating in this incredible cosmic banquet of love and god pouring god's self out for the sake of the world instead of putting a fence around it or saying well you don't believe this so you can't come to say this is for everyone and if you're Christian, you can make a particular meaning out of it. But this is for everyone, for the sake of the world. Gather around this table and understand that everything is one. Everything. And these very natural bread and great wine, the most basic, and water, the most basic things, all are holy. It's a holy meal for all God's holy people, which is all. So yeah. if we could take the fences down and do a better job of saying what we what we're about and what the ministry of Jesus was about and what the love of God's about. Hell, we'd, we'd have it figured out. <laughs> we wouldn't be living in the hell we're living in. Yeah. Right and I, I, you know, let's take it one step further and let's talk about <laughs> Brian Morescu's book, The Immortality Key, who I, I know that you have connected with him and, and, and chatted with him. I'd love to have him on the podcast. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, when I read that book. I, I probably, I, I couldn't put it down. And I'll, we'll, we'll, we'll get into it in a second because I think he's making a really interesting case. And in, in, a, in, a, in one minute, I'll, I'll just try to explain it. He, he's a, he's a, 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 a classicist uh, trained and he's looking at kind of archaeobotany. He's scraping early vessels from the early first, second century chalices that were used in Holy Communion under the Vatican. And he's finding ergot root, which is a psychedelic mushroom based, uh, which is what LSD is based on. And he's purporting that there is a lineage between the Kukion from the Greek culture that was alive for a thousand years at Eleusis 
that Plato and Aristotle and the elites would go and journey for three nights uh, into the darkness so they can die before they die. They could allow their ego to, to die and they could experience the psychedelic uh, divine encounter so they can be to, to be right to be resurrected again with a new vision. And he argues in, in his immortality key that there's a direct connection between the, the Greek understanding of the Kukion at Eleusis and the last and the Lord's table, which is the psychedelic mixed wine that women were serving in underground churches uh, in using mixed uh, wine with psychedelic substances so that people were literally having a divine encounter, direct encounter with God, unmediated by a priest. They don't need access to a priest. They could have direct encounter with divine through this uh, psychedelic Eucharist that was outlawed in the fourth century. And it was said that men can only serve it and had to be in the church. And that these women were not just uh, relegated as heretics, but they were eventually systematically murdered and killed by in the Inquisition because they were the witches that were brewing this psychedelic mixed wine. That's his argument. Now, he is saying, please prove me wrong. I'm an archaeologist. I'm a classicist. If I'm out to lunch, prove me wrong. He lay a gauntlet down that I I read his book three times, took extensive notes. It blew me away. And I'm like, I, I, I not only believe him, but everything starts to make sense now. The suppression of women, the suppression of the divine feminine, the, the access to direct access to God from the Eucharist, which was always meant, take my body into you. This is my body and my blood. Take it in you. You will have, where is the kingdom of God? Not out there. The kingdom of God is found right here in your midst. You are complete. You don't need anything else. You know, that to me is the message of the kingdom. And here, Brian Morescu is putting it out, uh, you know, in the last couple of years and making quite a stir. Tell me what your take <laughs> is on Brian Morescu's book, Immortality Key. I think it's really important. And I think it, it hadn't been engaged. I mean, Brian's a friend and been a colleague. And I, I think that... I, yeah, his work and he's been very important to all I'm doing. And I, I think the church has not engaged religious. There's not been a, a robust enough religious conversation around the book. I, it's definitely caught the attention of a lot of people either who are not religious or used to be religious. And there are there just needs to be a more robust conversation around in Christianity about it. I think there will be. I mean, we're really just getting started on a real intentional conversation around Christianity and, and these substances. So I think. I think whatever the specifics are of whatever was in a chalice, I think that I hope we'll be able to see that. But I think just um, generally or conceptually to understand that Christianity has always interacted and been changed by and changed the cultures it finds itself mm -hmm. in. I mean, American Christianity looks very different than African Christianity. So as, as, as the Jesus movement, it wasn't Christian. There was no Christianity as the Jesus movement within Judaism and, outside Judaism began to leave what we now call Israel and the Pal leave Palestine. But those that ended up in Greece were certainly influenced by the Greek culture. I mean, Judaism was already being influenced by Greek culture, but you find yourself in Greece and you've got this message of Jesus and it's coming up against these other religious traditions. You're going to learn from each other. And Christianity has always adapted its message, sometimes for ill, but I think mostly for good, adapted its message for the culture it finds itself in. So that it can be understood. So what it looked like in Northern Europe is different than what it looked like in Southern Europe or in the States, what became the States. So Christianity is all, there's, there's no one Christianity. There's not one mani uh, manifestation of that. 
and it's culturally specific in a lot of ways. Even in the Catholic Church, it's very specific to the culture. And uh, and of course, the early Christians were influenced by Greek culture and Greek mystery religions. Of course, they were. And I think his case, this case he makes about the wedding at Cana, and that's John's Gospel, which is the Greek. That's the Hellenistic. That's the most Hellenistic of the Gospels, and influenced by Greek culture and thought. And uh, it appears in there, and it has has the feel of Dionysus, the Greek god. Well, he yeah. quotes that he quotes that poem, right? The Dionysus poem, and you know that it existed eight hundred years before the wedding at Cana, and right. then he just takes the Greek from the wedding of Cana, John four story, and he's like. It's almost word for word. And it's it, as any scholar, you're like, this isn't chance. Clearly, the writers right. knew this poem and they we were trying to create of like, you already know this poem. It, you see it, you hear you, you, you know, you read it all the time. We're just telling you the Christ of the uh, of the universe is found in the Dionysian, you know, mystery cult. You know, it's like we can see Christ everywhere, right? And so I, I think, yeah, they, we we have such a we have such a reticence to realize that Christianity was uh, uh, syncretistic, like it drew from other, you know, other belief systems that were alive in its time. We it's think it just than, got and I would say down. more than and that's why it, that speaks to both its universality now and its issues. But it has definitely, I mean, some of that has been terrible when it's done. What we've done in the name of adapting to culture, but because we've heard a lot of people, but that, that's been Christianity's gift. That has been its gift, is to adapt to the culture and to learn from the culture it finds itself in. And then all of a sudden, somewhere in the 1800s, we decided we're not going to learn from the culture of the, of the academy, or there'll be a branch of Christianity that says anything that's academic that conflicts with scripture is not acceptable. So half the church turned off its brain, and the rest of the church has sort of struggled to say, no, science and religion don't contradict and you can uh trust the signs of evolution and also be a christian i mean all those things it just seem so obvious to me but i know not to a lot of people <laughs> take from the culture what is true and let the rest go and we have a lot in the culture the materialist scientific mm. enlightenment culture that's true and a lot that's not but yeah. a lot of it is that we haven't adapted to so but there's there's a pragmatism uh, when I when I hear about you know Ligare and and your interest in in, in creating a Christian psychedelic society a, a network that can help <clears throat> help clergy uh, ministers that who whose whose parishioners are experiencing and having these experiences whether you like it or not people are seeking these experiences and sometimes doing it safely sometimes not but your ministry is to say hey why instead of being scared of this or calling it like the devil what what if we looked at it and actually say this can actually help renew this movement we can draw young people into a a, a, a familiar language around christian symbols and re-inhabit them with beauty connection growth uh, uh you know inclusion healing like this can happen and and it seems to be uh you know the mushroom experience, the psychedelic, you know, psilocybin experiences, and I've been around hundreds of them now, they all, they're not neutral. They, they, they bring us toward love. And we know that first John, anything that is of love is of God. 
And mm -hmm. so anything that's not a love is not of God. So we find God showing up in psychedelic experiences over and over and over again, healing, connecting, binding um, together, you know? And so why you're just saying, let's let's notice this and let's create a shared language and not be embarrassed by our religious Christian symbols as a way to make sense of these psychedelic experiences. That's beautiful, Hunt. I, I love know. that vision. I know. And I, I mean, and all the other religions, but, yeah. but again, just Christianity, there's such rich, there's the transfiguration story. There's the journey through the desert. There's Jesus's 40 days in the desert. There's temptation. There's, is baptism horrifying stories in scripture to mirror horrifying stories and psychedelic experiences and i would say all of that i mean we want i mean people have to stay safe but religious spiritual experiences are not just the happy one <coughs> i mean the core of our story ends up happy but it the, the core of the christian story is torture is god tortured on a tree yeah. i mean we know that in the end there's new life that comes from that but it's a horrific, painful, gruesome story. And so we, we should under, we understand that too. And so as we're talking to people about psychedelic experiences that are gruesome and horrific and terrifying, and there's, for many people, for most people, there's something in there that can be transformed into healing. Yeah. Because if it's coming up, then, then there's, it needs to. And yet people, we've got we to gotta make sure people are safe. And if people are having a skip. Psych, psych, psychological break we've got to be aware of that but just have an unpleasant experience is not not spiritual or not religious no i i mean saint john of the cross we have lots of lots yes, of mystics that have that have said listen these these experiences of freeing your you, you know of uniting your soul back together it it's like um you know uh, one of the best uh metaphors that I, i'm i'm loving is is just coming from uh internal family systems so this is a this is a uh a way of understanding our internal world, like a family, all these different parts, right? And so, when you look at Rich, Richard Swartz is uh, is his name, and and he came up with this model, and he says, "I didn't invent it. This I'm just discovering it. How people, uh, you know, present." And I think actually Jesus is is tapping into the same model. I think he sees us, uh, you know, in this in you know, his experiences of connecting to the divine. He sees us as these scattered parts. So whether it's the woman who has ten coins and loses a coin and is in essence it's a part of her soul that feels lost and she searches her whole house it's a parable that jesus tells and she says there's more rejoicing when she finds that one coin and brings it back she brings all of her family and friends to celebrate though this one coin that was lost is now being united well what if this is an internal journey that these these psychedelics experiences allow us to bring our disparate parts to reunite them to unburden them to make them feel connected again maybe there's parts of us that are that are lame that need to find movement maybe there are parts of us that are blind that need to see there's parts that are deaf to hearing how much love are we loved but we're deaf to it and these parts want to be healed and drawn in and the psychedelic experience can allow you to quiet down the fear that is in our minds and we know this the 5h2a receptor in our brains get locked on by the psilocybin molecule and the amygdala calms down and now we can encounter those parts of us that we that have been terrified put away in boxes and we can bring them close and allow the love of god to bring them and heal them well that's that's healing work and we yes. can do that is a spiritual communities with this beautiful substance 
I see a future for Christianity and the, the, the psychedelic mushroom being a sacrament that's maybe served once or twice a year as a kind of a part of the ritual of the a spiritual community. What do you think of that concept? And I, 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 I think it's all open. And I think, I think for the way I think about it and talk about it, and I, this is evolving, but I think for most in the Christian context, I think for most people, a retreat setting, because again, that's part of our tradition. You time away. Jesus took time away. We all none, we don't do enough of it. Four or five days away with a small group of people, well led, well fed, praying together, studying scripture together, you know, taking a nap on the porch, going for a walk. Four or five days, a couple of days to kind of get the group uh, integrated and connected, a psilocybin experience in a very led prayerfully with ritual and then a couple of days to make sense of it now i'm coming down off the mountain now what and then to close that with a eucharist um of thanks which is really to say thanks and to give thanks to god for this experience and then and then to leave that and then have a way for people to uh check in once a week or twice a month with that same group <coughs> because most of us have the tools we need to make meaning and make sense of things with a little bit of support. Most of us can do that in our own context. And then I think, yeah, and then have a regular pattern of that. So some people maybe once a year, some people once a quarter, until you feel like you've gotten what you need to feel whole and healed and ready to do, all of us have a ministry in the world and to do our ministry, to do our work, to serve serve God and others. Um, yeah, that's, and that's what you just described is... Um, I've had the experience of, of being able to create. Yeah. So my wife and I host retreats. Um, they're harm reduction models. So people bring their own, their own substances. We, uh, we're lucky in Canada. We can get a safe supply and we have access to this in Canada. And so we, we hold these spiritual retreats for groups of people. <clears throat> we take 10 weeks to prepare them. We think that there's far, far more emphasis needs to be placed on preparing nervous systems. You mentioned it in the beginning, and I think this is a really important thing. The somatic level of these experiences are is like nothing else I've ever seen. What you Your nervous system has to be prepared for this. And the only way we do this is what we call polyvagal theory, which is we get into groups where we can see each other and we can look at each other and we can co-regulate. And when we co-regulate with a group of people in a non-judged, you know, kind of safe atmosphere, our whole nervous system calms down. We feel seen, we feel safe, we feel held, right? This is what the community we need. It's in that experience, as you said, you can do that over a course of two, three days in a retreat. We do that online using Zoom, and then they come in person for the retreat. So they already have this sense of co-regulation and connection. That allows them as a group to go really deep because their nervous system is settled. They're all co-regulated. They feel safe. And now they can go deep down for the pearls of wisdom down in the ocean. Uh, I describe a metaphor like if you journey on your own, even with just a therapist or two, you can take a gulp of air and you can probably get down 12, 15 feet on one breath of air. But when you're in a group of eight or nine people, there is an energetic connection that you feel both in your nervous system and you feel the love in the air. You're able to go a hundred feet down into depths, into get those, they'll get those, uh, you know, pearls down at the bottom, get that oyster and bring it back up to the surface. You just can go deeper when you, where two or three are gathered in the name of love, you can go deep. 
And so we're, we're just been experiencing this and trying to make sense out of how to create a spiritual community that keeps people safe, prepares them well, and allows them to have deep spiritual experiences that heal and connect uh, and allows fathers. And I'm, I'm doing lots of men's work where I'm taking men into this work. And I, I, Maybe this is a good offshoot for us to do. One of the things I'm discovering more than ever in, you know, I've been, again, I I, I was ordained at 26 uh, and I've had a bumpy road, you know, my whole life. I'm 52 now uh, in and out with different organizations and, you know, walking away and ah, I'm back, you know, whatever. But one of the things I'm discovering is that in this work, like never before, is there's an invitation to the divine feminine to understand God in feminine terms in ways that we just haven't done in, at least in evangelical circles. We have no understanding of Mary. Mary Magdalene and all of a sudden is coming up in all my trips. The oh my Mary, the mother of God is coming up. And I'm like, what? You know, so my, my re-engagement with the feminine uh, is really the invitation in men's work is to encounter the feminine in a new way. Uh, and, and when they do that, there's big release, incredible healing can happen uh, as, as men allow that tender uh, access to their heart. Um, which is very, very motherly, very feminine. So that's a very unique thing in the psychedelic space with men is that oh, yeah. we're exploring that. There's so much, so much potential for all the healing that we need. And I, I mean, we've got to be careful. We've got to be, keep people safe and move, move. My caution, we need to move at a pace that's correct. We don't need to rush out too far ahead of ourselves yeah. and we don't need to sit back on our heels. But all of the things you mentioned, the, in breaking of the divine feminine, the men's, the men's men have got to work with other men. We've got to, we've got to break these patterns that are creating all of the yeah. destruction. It's the war is the obvious stuff, but so much of the damage in culture is masculine energy that's not checked because we've so squashed the power of the feminine over the course of two or three thousand years, probably or longer. So. And and it's coming undone. And I think the backlash we're getting uh, around the issues of women and, and inclusion of gay and lesbian, transgender, all of that is the cultural anxiety about this thing that's happening. And it's going to, it will eventually happen whether we fight it or not. And so there's, the, it's inbreaking. And I feel like our work as leaders is to help Marsh shadow, help uh, shepherd it in so that we can benefit from it and the, the church you know the church changes slowly but the church is changing and uh, culture changes slowly and culture is changing and then all of a sudden we change and we think well how do we get here so i feel like we're in that moment with psychedelics mm -hmm. where this has happened so quickly and there's there's pitfalls and danger and we can't we can't overhype it and we can't under undercut the dangers that are inherent and there's all kinds of things we've got to watch out for uh and yet We've got to keep moving because they, we're desperate for healing. We're desperate for community. We're desperate for connection. We're desperate for a sacred story because the story we have, the story we have now is consumption, 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 and domination, domination, domination. And that's not the story of God or the story of creation of the universe. Oh, yeah. There's a line, I think Charles Eisenstein has book. He's it's called the more perfect world. Uh, 
a more perfect world. I think that's the more perfect world our hearts know is possible. What a great line. Yeah. The more perfect world our hearts know is possible. Yeah, exactly. and, and I think that's what you mean by we need a sacred story. We yeah. need something that is inclusive, that brings all together, uh, that is not an in and out kind of a dualism. I think, you know, for me, one of the new understandings of what's what what psychedelics is doing to my own faith is really moving toward this this unifying concept of love and connection as really the heartbeat of what the kingdom of god is all about and then it, it anything that strikes of duality whether that's you know you know and we hear this in galatians and colossians there's neither male nor female jew nor greek you know there's all these in and out categories have now dissolved in christ so we we think that there's hierarchies and the hierarchies are just an old grasp of a dualistic notion of a god out there versus you know me over here and there's a there's an inbreaking of the divine into our own that god is right here you know, and uh, the Eastern Orthodox have this notion of theosis, which is the deification. And it's the best kind of um, the best theological framing that I can understand for the psychedelic experience is uh, the, the Orthodox have really figured this out. They have said, listen, you are partaking in the divine energies. You are as you become divine. This process is waking you up to your own divinity that, you know, that. Christ in you is not like I believe in Jesus, some cognitive thing. It's literally you are experiencing the presence of the divine. And there's a process that looks like that. Well, this is what I'm experiencing with people that are in having these psychedelic experiences. They're experiencing the divine within the theosis, you know, uh, these Orthodox priests and, and, and writers are giving me language for what I'm seeing in front of me, right? Wow. The divination of these, of individuals rising up. Uh, and it's, um, it's really profound. And uh, uh, I used to be, I used to be embarrassed about my Christianity. And, and it's only really recently that oh. I've begun to not say, you know what, I used to be this, but now I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a really, I'm a cool guy who's no longer a Christian because that stuff was patriarchy and, and that stuff was suppression of women and it was suppression of gay and lesbians and, you know, and all of the, the history of colonization and, you know, all of it is, is I have to own as oh. a, as a clergy, I have to own that and say, yeah, that is part of our history. And I do not believe that has anything to do with God, mm. you know, and, and I think we can free Jesus from the clutches of that kind of Christianity. <laughs> right. right. Oh my God. I hope so. Uh, there's so much, you and I got to talk more. I mean, that, this has been way too long since you and I've had a conversation. You've said so much. It's lit a light bulb in my head, but just the, 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 the concept of half of the church, the Eastern half of the church, that was the first great schism was in, was between the Eastern and Western church. Yeah. And what we lost as the Western church, which we're, you and I are part of, and then, you know, it's splintered, 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 splintered. But in that split, we lost that. And we ended up with this overly rational, overly scholastic, less experiential expression of Christianity, then fractured again with the Protestant Reformation and fractured uh, like all the way down till we got a shell of it. But to we don't it'd be great to unite the church universally but to unite the for us to incorporate more eastern uh from the orthodox tradition more eastern ideas about god about mary as the god bearer about incorporating as much as we can imagery jesus calls himself a mother hen so it's not like it's not there but to lift up that and to that's been suppressed we need to lift those images of god up and 
calm down the other ones, which are mostly not in the Gospels, but other places. It's funny that Christians, a lot of Christians who want to be more about domination and right belief, ignore the Gospels and just either go to obscure passages of Hebrew Scripture or parts of Paul's letters that are taken out of context and used to beat people up. But all Jesus ever said was, come to me, all you who are tired and carrying heavy burdens, and I will refresh you. Mm-hmm. That's Jesus. Yeah. I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let the empire kill me because, because that's what empires do. And in that, you're gonna see my death and then a new thing come. Mm. And so, you know, God. Yeah. It's, so uh, I, remember, I'm sorry, yeah. I remember reading uh, Rene Girard, uh, an early, uh, an amazing scholar on, uh, I think he, there was a book called I See Satan Fall Like Lightning. And in, in his book, he basically is arguing for the, this idea of Christ revealing violence as the, as the mechanism of action in the world, that power and domination uh, is kind of the flow that needs to be curtailed and, and Christ reveals it in his death. He says, let me show you where the utter end of of retributive violence goes you know you kill my brother i'm going to kill you you know vengeance model and and the christ revelation is a is not a kind of an atonement model where i'm appeasing some you know deity some kind of ancient pagan deity where i'm going to appease him with a death sacrifice you know my blood spilled for to appease the god so it makes it rain again so pagan right his argument is that no jesus reveals the the absurdity of violence as a mechanism of healing in our world it only divides and he exposes power and says look at look at look what happens you you will kill an innocent man that's what will happen you know and so his revelation that violence is no longer the mechanism of of to to bind our society together that it's got to be about love connection forgiveness and a bringing together the you know ligare the the coming back together uh is really at the heartbeat of the kingdom of god and so i i i love the i mean jesus pours himself out for the sake of all and we're all called to do that in different ways not all called to die on the cross thank god but we're called to empty ourselves over the course of our lives so that we're emptying ourselves for others i mean not giving ourselves away but just or maybe in some cases but the constant letting go letting go letting go letting go so others can live that's and you know what's yeah. different each stage of our life kenosis Right. Yeah. And that's this self-emptying, you know, <laughs> Jesus said, I, I don't take uh, divinity as something to be grasped, but I give it up because I want to become a human in time and space with all the problems of being human. I can't right. be everywhere at the same time. I can't fix everything. I'm limited. And in our limitation, there's something really powerful about, you know, love that we learn that they, you know, that there's a, there, that, that love is about a self-emptying sacrifice for others, you know, agape. It's a very different notion of love than transactional love. That's all we kind of notice in our right. world. Exactly. So this is a, you know, all of these things, uh, we have language for these experiences that people are coming out of these psychedelic experiences. And I'm saying we have language to help you make sense of this. You don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to go to church, but we can tell you if you're looking for language, particularly, and this is where I think the, the Christian symbols are unique. And not again, not better, but just for me, why why they're kind of landing is that Christianity always has an insistence on a relationality understanding of God. So versus just kind of I'm there's Brahma, there's the you know there's this there's there's the quote the divine, there's the all, and then there's the one and the many. And what's Christianity? The Trinity? Trinity which are good. Those are helpful. 
you know, yeah. but Christianity says there's a, there's a, there's a, there's an intentionality toward the universe. It's moving us toward love. And that love is really the heartbeat of these, these experiences. And so uses relational language of father and mother and brother, sister. And, you know, uh, and so, uh, you know, yeah. So I just, there's so much language in the parables for me that really helped me make sense of these altered state experiences that people are having. And yeah. that's, that's interesting. Because they probably, those stories, some of those stories came out of altered, altered states of comfort. It doesn't have to be psychedelic. No. Doesn't... Breath, breath right. work, we can see but this. So much, I think so much of scripture is the result of somebody having an experience they couldn't quite explain with an attempt to explain it. Hmm. Whether that's the resurrection appearances of Jesus, because, I mean, Jesus is moving in and out of rooms and going through locked doors. So, however, people had an experience of his resurrected presence, they had it. And then there's then we have to tell stories about how that happened. But those stories come out of these non-ordinary states of consciousness yeah. that people had encounters. And yeah. Paul had an encounter and all the mystics, all the early church fathers and mothers all had these, you know, non-ordinary states of consciousness. It wasn't always psychedelic plant medicines. We're not arguing for that. You know, my indigenous brothers and sisters that I'm working with in, in some of our work would say, you know what? Uh, non-ordinary states of consciousness are foundational to indigenous uh, spirituality. You have outlawed that. You Christians outlawed that when you we when we were doing our our ceremonies. You outlawed non-ordinary states of consciousness for us to experience. But this has been part of our tradition for thousands of years. And I think there's something right in that. In that human beings are designed to have these out of a different conscious. We we do it every night when we sleep. We, we all sleep. We all have, you know, we, we've always had this uh, uh, an openness to a different spiritual experiences, not ordinary states of consciousness. We're just saying, what if these plants are actually a gift from the divine for this time right now for renewal, connection and healing? Can we use these beautiful symbols and these tools uh, to be able to help build spiritual communities that I want to keep people safe. We want to train people well to hold space. We're doing that a lot. We use a lot of therapists that come in that have trauma-informed models. We do a lot of group work because we really think that the group is the way to keep people safe, which avoids a lot of the pain, the, the hiddenness around, you know, what happens behind closed doors with even one or two therapists. We all yes. There's 10 people in the room. At yes. every trip, you know, it's always, and it's led by women. So these are, these are the, these are some of the things that we've really said are important. Has it, so, have it, I mean, the painful lessons the church has learned in the last 20 years around sexual misconduct. That's, that's what we've learned. All of that. And you learn that you have, women have to be in the space. That there has to be a group of people. You're nobody's ever alone, especially in these vulnerable times. So We've learned the hard. We've learned a very hard and painful lesson. Did a lot of damage because the church had a lot of power and a lot of church people had a lot of power. And we've learned a lot. And one of the things we've learned is how to keep people safe in, in settings and doing group work, which is at the core of our ministry anyway. <laughs> exactly. It's all I kind of, so much you've said. Even that idea that of uh, the group self-regulating. I'm going back just a minute. Mm -hmm. What? And I think that's true of worship if we just don't mm. see it that way, mm. that that some what can happen on Sunday morning is a group offering self-regulating itself. And 
when I don't go to church, that week is a little off mm -hmm. because of, of not because I didn't hear the sermon or because I didn't communion, although it's part of it. It's because I wasn't with a group of people at the beginning of the week to help me ground myself yeah. as they were grounding themselves in something beyond myself. Yeah. Like what if that, what if Jesus's admonition of like, you know, do not give up meeting together, you know, what, what if this, what if this kind of this thing of we, we, I really want you to continue to meet together in groups, not because you have to, there's no guilt around it. It's not about some kind of a moral law from the divine. It's to say for your health and healing and benefit, stay together, stay in these co-regulated groups. Right. And that we know now we have the evidence that the vagus nerve, which is connected from our brain all the way through our body. That's the thing that can, that can bring our nervous system down and co-regulate it. And we know that the only way we do that is by looking to each other's eyes to see the crinkle in our smile, to see the lines in our, in our face. This is how our nervous system co-regulates with one another. And when we sing, our, our, our vagus nerve stimulates and we move down into a parasympathetic state. So we do this with children. My wife's an elementary school teacher and sings with children to calm them down and regulate them. So why why wouldn't singing be part of our weekly program of spiritual connection to regulate our nervous systems, to feel that deep connection? Uh, yes. I mean, Isn't we've been doing this for thousands of years. Why, why are we, why do we think we can survive as human beings without small groups of people that want to sing and know each other? Right. right. And God, they are good. And guess who has that every Sunday morning, but it's, it comes for many people comes with a bunch of baggage. Well, again, God, really, we really do need to talk more, but, um, I'm thinking about how as a clergy person for a long time, I've talked about this earlier where I was just looking for strategies and I was looking toward business models or all important, but organizational development models, those are important too. But what if we looked at the science of the vagal of the, of Vegas nerves. Yeah. Vagus nerves and yeah, polyvagal the, theories, what polyvagal theory. And then what happens to the body when it's in a room of people that are singing and co-regulating let's let's lift that up and say this is what's happening here and you can come here for free and get that <laughs> yeah i mean it, I, I think it's a beautiful model i i think the yeah. science on this uh, people like uh steve levine and uh dr levine Stephen levine have really done a great job of, of understanding what it means to be a social mammal to be a creature as that's a mammal and how do we deal with anxiety and fear it's not cognitively Cognitive behavioral therapy is no longer working in our, we're too rattled as a society, too distracted, too consumed. We need something that's going to calm us down and it has to be bottom up processing, which means we're starting biologically. You got to sit in a room with other people or skit online with a group of seven in a beautiful trauma informed model that says you're not judged here. You could be safe and we can help you regulate. And then once you're regulated, we'll move you into an altered state experience where you can meet the divine and feel love for the first time. And then from that, we'll give you the tools every week to remember what that experience is like. All right. I am divine. Let me take eat every week and be reminded of that experience. Right? Like we're building the church using psychedelics, buddy. Like this is going to happen. Right. Don't you wish we, there was some machine you could walk through to see how dysregulated you are. So, or, or as I'm thinking about church, if I could have had a machine that people walk through on Sunday morning and I could see something that went off above them to see how dysregulated they were. And if the whole room was dysregulated, I would just go walking out the door and go to the parking <laughs> lot and go home and come yeah. back next week. But, uh, because I think that's what I noticed 
with the pandemic, with the political, with, I mean, in the U.S., but also in Canada, the just the political fracturing, everyone was so dysregulated. It was almost, and as was I, it was almost impossible to try to find a way through it. And I think there, there were gifts of being quiet. The pandemic provided some gifts, but it really messed us up on the community and I, and co-regulating in, in space. I mean, yeah, Zoom helps and that, that, that would that help, but it's not the same thing as being in the same room with people and seeing their bodies and seeing mm. just whatever the energy transfer is that I don't really even understand. What happens in space like that calms me down or amps me up, yeah. depending on what's going on. Yeah. So. What's your vision? Where Where do you? I mean, uh, tell me a little about the. What's your hope for where the Ligari is headed? Uh, you have this Christian network of psychedelics. Um, what's happening? Tell me what's going on out there. I'm in Canada here. And, well, I want to. Uh, yeah. I, so we're developed. So I eventually the goal is to offer retreats for christian leaders broadly understood but offer christian leaders clergy lay leaders chaplains spiritual directors an, an experience so that then they can both understand the experience people have had that they're working with in their congregations or at the hospital and i hope for some to begin to use their ministry skills to offer this for other people so as it grows i would love for there to be communities that would support each other that people would go have a retreat experience get some training come back and offer that for other people and that people would give back to it by coming and volunteering for five days to cook or to sit so that we can make it much more accessible than we're going to be able to do with any kind of corporate model to use the people and buildings and resources of religious communities to bring healing. Mm. Uh, and I think equipping spiritual directors and clergy to work with people. So uh, not necessarily to lead them, but to prepare them and help them integrate. And maybe there's other people that have the skills for the leading. It is still illegal still. So we got, we need to, we need to get this up and out and available to people as quickly as we can keep people safe. And uh, I think until we, normalize this i want to normalize as we've normalized ssris that don't work right normalized alcohol or normalized all the other destructive things we do and then we've got these things that are illegal that actually are scientifically proven to heal and we're saying well that's illegal so we that's wrong right right people that are dying from alcoholism and tobacco and you know street drugs and opioids legal god i mean the yeah. things that people die from legally yeah far outweigh what people are dying from illegal legal, yeah. the illegal things so, yeah i know there, there's a charter challenge in canada right now put on by an organization called theracil and i i'm i'm a part of them they i do videos for them and marketing and the theracil this nonprofit, is uh in the charter challenge case with lawyers arguing for uh, physicians who have the right in canada to do medical assistance in dying should automatically have the right to give people at the end of their life access to a psilocybin mushroom so they can face their ex end, of, end of life existential dread. We know we have research it's safe. This is just, it should just be automatic. And so they're challenging the charter saying every Canadian uh, should have access to this, you know, this substance that grows in the ground to be able to help them for their end of life anxiety. We think this is the front edge of the wedge. As it opens up for these most vulnerable end of life cases, it'll start opening up as we see the research for depression, anxiety, these other kinds of things. But I think what you and I are talking about is a little bit different. 
We are saying, listen, yes, we love it that there is a movement for therapists and physicians to really get trained in this, but you want to train and I want to train spiritual leaders, clergy who, who under can understand and use these substances or help people integrate them. At least, even if you're not the one doing it, you can help people prepare and integrate their experiences. They maybe have at home or in nature or in some kind of, you know, a festival or in a, in a therapeutic context. Right. right. So that's right. what I want. We should do a retreat. My wife and I have a retreat center here. Hunt, we should do a retreat together and get eight or nine uh, folks from Canada here Stay, keep them, keep them overnight for five nights. I fly you out and you and I should run a retreat here for clergy and we will give them a, a beautiful psilocybin experience here. Yeah. So I think it's easier to do there than here for sure. And I think the model you have of the harm reduction and people supplying themselves, yep. even in Canada, it's, you know, it's still illegal, although it's decriminalized and things are moving really quickly. But in this in-between space, I think that's, I th I, yeah. I commend you, and I'd love to talk to you more about that. Well, we, we will be definitely talking about this, Hunt. Uh, I, uh, I I think uh, there, there's a beautiful synergy going on here. I'm aware that we're two white guys talking mm -hmm. about, you know, a white guy's religion, Christianity, right? <laughs> um, and yet, you know, uh, I just, I'm not embarrassed by that anymore. I I'm really believe that I'm called to use my privilege and power as a white male to open up the space for the divine feminine. Mm -hmm. And that this, this is really about creating space for healing work to be done. And uh, I, I, I'm, you know, you and I, yes, we're, you know, these, these white guys trying to make sense of this stuff, but this is where we are. And we're called to say, there's another way for us to, uh, to be Christian in this world. Yes. And it doesn't have to be, you know, patriarchal, you know, dominating, exploiting, colonizing. There is a Jesus way of being that is subverting all those power structures. And, uh, and it's kind of the woman at the well, you know, kind of model of Jesus coming to her and saying, you know, I, you, you and I are the same. I, I love you and you love me and I know everything about you, but I offer you this living water. And I think, uh, I think there's a beautiful opportunity for us to renew a Christianity for those people that have said, I can't do this anymore. I'm leaving it. It's too political. It's too whatever. It's too hate filled. I don't want to raise my kids in that anymore, but they have no place to go. They're, they don't, they don't feel comfortable with Buddha symbols. They don't, it's just not their language. They have a history. Like I have a 700 year history of Christian tradition in my family. And am I going to be the first one who says that's all bunk, you know, yeah. or, or will I stand up and say, maybe there's an opportunity to renew this tradition for my generation, for the next generation and using the beautiful things that are coming up in culture and this renewal of psychedelics as a way to encounter the divine. Um, wow. What a gift. I can't believe we get to you and I get to have this conversation that uh -huh. I can talk like this without the fear of the RCMP breaking into my door right now. Right. <laughs> it might, but you know, but you know, it's just, there's, it, we have this, we have this opportunity right now. So I, I'm excited about your renewal, your heart for renewal of the Christian oh, faith. I feel the same way about you. I feel, I can feel the energy. I can hear it and feel it. And since it's been a while since you and I've talked, I've, there's a, such a, you've got such a vision and passion and uh, energy for it. And I, I think that's what it's, and you and I are just two people and yeah. I'm, I'm talking to a lot of people and I, it's coming from a lot of different directions. Mm -hmm. It's coming from, wow. I'm talking to, pretty prominent people in religious American religious life and saying somewhat some very prominent and there's an openness that I would not have guessed five years ago. Wow. 
maybe it was there, but I think it's a combination of the science and the cultural awareness and the crisis we've been in and are in, mm. including the environmental crisis and this idea that you can't solve these problems by using the same thought patterns that created them. And uh, we've got to have a, uh, we've got to change our under, our consciousness. And I, mm -hmm. I think raising our consciousness into a, to sort of have a higher view of things, a, a 30,000 yeah. view, view foot view to see which we can't do if we're down in the middle of it. And I think any mystical experience can do that. And psychedelics are reliable and safe way to get there. And, uh, and you need a spiritual practice to both undergird it and support it. And we've got to keep reminding people of that because it's just a, it's a parlor trick or a day at Disney world. If you don't support it for the rest of your life, it's just a, it was a fun thing you did. Right. And I think that's that's a really important hunt that this is mm -hmm. not a, we are not advocating for some panacea, just take mushrooms and everything's going to be fine. That is mm -hmm. not at all. We're talking about building spiritual communities of care that support people who have these experiences. That takes a lot of work. That takes mm -hmm. lots of hundreds and hundreds of hours to create teams of safety and connection. And that's what we're arguing for. We're not arguing for here, just give mushrooms and you know, who cares? We are arguing for a, a spiritual ceremonial way of giving people uh, an experience and keeping it in a container and then giving them the tools to make sense of that so their lives can be better, so that they can feel more like have less fear in their life, so that they can have less anxiety in their life, that they can feel the presence of the divine in each moment rather than fearing like my light, I'm barely hanging on. I'm so stressed and anxious. I can't fall asleep at night. And I'm like, Jesus has come that you may have life and have it in abundance. And I'm like, I don't know. I, I, I haven't known how to give that to people in the past. It just has felt like some kind of another belief I have to give on to them. And instead, now I actually have a way for them to feel it somatically. Experience it. You have to experience, experience it. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Don't just believe it. Taste and feel it. Yeah. And it's, wow. yeah, that, I mean, it's all there again, as we've been saying. It's all over, there. It's all there. It's all there, and it's all—it's in the other Judaism has it. Yes, yes. I have a friend who is a who's a, is a Jew, so, and we're finding more connection now because we have this shared space, shared language around psychedelics. You know, and he's like, "Oh, let's let's talk about the experience I had on psychedelics. You can talk about yours." He just puts some Jewish language, and you know, some of the the the, the mystical tradition of Judaism it helps him make sense of that. And I go, "Well, I'm using you know, uh, you know, Meister Eckhart uh, and his language." helps me understand my experience of the divine connection right so what a beautiful thing i can't wait for this article to be published from johns hopkins uh that talks about these different clergy that's where we started our conversation uh one last thing before we kind of close here what's uh what's your encouragement for those who are interested in this conversation who maybe have left christianity and want to explore this what are some thoughts where where can they where can they find you Oh, God. we can find me at lagare.org. Our website is uh, in the midst of being updated, and there's some, but there's some resources there. There's, uh, I think, to I think looking, reading some people to read. I think Richard Rohr, I think Universal Christ, which you mentioned. I think Cynthia Brajo's work, yes. maybe especially around the Trinity and around Mary Magdalene. Yeah. I think uh, to let go, to not be worried about the doctrines of Christianity, and to really pay attention to the experiences of everyday people and the saints and to see the to see the stories and rituals of christianity not about doctrine and dogma about but about ways to experience god mm. and 
which psilocybin psychedelics also are. But I think to to try to let go of the doctrinal and to engage the spirit experiential, it's hard to find communities that will support that, but they're out there. But to know that the that nature was creation was the first scripture and the outdoors was the first cathedral. So to trust when people say I find God in nature, say, yeah, that's where God is. Yeah. I say we go to church to kind of get a little like a, a base camp on a mountain expedition where we get our supplies and we get maybe a little bit of encouragement for the rest of the trip. But the work mm -hmm. is in the world. And the church is the uh, way station or the uh, base camp, but the, the work of all peoples in the world and the church needs, needs to support that. But uh, I think for now, mm -hmm. and realize that there's multiple expressions of Christianity and there's yeah. Eastern tradition there's the contemplative liturgical sacramental tradition. There's the, evangelical tradition which is to say this is so important to me that i want you to come join us i'm not going to beat you over the head with it but i'm so passionate about it of the good news that i want to share it with you so that part too we need to be better evangelists about this kind of christianity mm. well that's not about conversion but about joining something that's life-giving right so, inclusive and life-giving and i i think uh I think there's something beautiful about what's happening in our culture right now around psychedelics. And, and I, I really think that this is uh, not only is it just an, an interesting, you know, side project to like, Oh, isn't that kind of fun? But I think it's actually one of it's right in the center of the heartbeat of what God is doing. And when I say, what is the flow of love doing? It's drawing people together. I have not seen such a beautiful, inclusive community as when I've been in some of these uh, uh, ceremonies, festivals, places where people are, you know, whether it's Burning Man or these other kinds of places where people get together and have are in community. They're doing creative things, playing music one another, and 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 doing and taking psychedelics together in groups. These are profound experiences, and I'm like, this is a model for what community could look like for the Christian community. And and you think what you're looking to Burning Man? And I'm like, oh yeah, you bet I oh, am. Oh yeah, you bet I am. There yeah. is something divine going on I here that you. we need to learn from. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Wow. All yeah. of it. I mean, in fact, the way that there's no money, everything's an exchange. The fact that nothing's left behind, there's not one ounce of trash left. I mean, like all. I mean, just the the core principles of Burning Man could should be the core principles of any community, whether it's religious yeah. or not. So, wow. yeah. Hunt, this is a, a weird maybe way to end, but I um, would you mind? Uh... Would you mind just praying a prayer of blessing for those people that are seeking God through this kind of uh, avenue? They don't ever hear people of, you know, of you and I's ilk. Looking like this. <laughs> exactly. Saying, let me pray for your, you know, psychedelic experience. Do you mind just giving a prayer for those that are listening? Oh, I'd love to. I'd okay. love to. Yeah, let's, so say, well, just make leg like, a little transition. So yeah. I'll invite all of us that are anyone listening or watching this to take a couple of deep breaths as I will, inhale and exhale. God of all creation, we give, we give thanks for all the riches of this world and of the cosmos, all the gifts, all the plants, all the animals, all the trees, all the 
all the beauty that surrounds us and all that is given for our sustenance, for our growth and for our healing. We pray for all those who are suffering with addiction, anxiety, fear, trauma. Pray for their healing, the doors are opened. We pray for all those who are engaging with psychedelics, that they find a safe place to practice, a safe place to heal, and a safe place to grow. Bless all those who are working as guides, as all those who are funding this, as all who are educating about this, all who are participating. Bless all of us. Hold all of us. Nurture all of us. Heal all of us for the sake of the world. All this we pray in all your holy names. Amen. Thank you, Hunt. What a beautiful prayer. And uh, thank you for just bringing thank you for that. Asking. Thank yeah. you for asking. That was good. That was a good, that was really good. I, well, thanks a lot for coming on the Unveiled podcast here. Our guest today has been Hunt Priest. We've been talking about the intersection of spirituality and psychedelics, and particularly in the Christian tradition. How can we renew the Christian tradition using these beautiful sacred medicines that God has given us? for renewal, growth, and healing. And uh, thanks a lot for coming on today, Hunt. What a beautiful day it's been. That's been wonderful. Thank you. Thanks a lot.